you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Right now on Fast, rates keep surging ahead of the Fed's big decision this week. One of Fed Chair Powell's key barometers, the 10-year, hitting its highest level since 2011. Former PIMCO chief economist Paul McCulley will be along to tell us why he thinks the market needs to brace for a nasty Fed and more Powell pain. Plus, is the crypto winter about to get even colder? A bruising weekend pushing Bitcoin to a three-month low. The chartmaster's bold call that Bitcoin is far from bottoming. And later, Ford warning on costs and inventories just after the bell here. Moderna's manic Monday and a bullish call on a sector that has just been hammered this year. I'm Sarah Eisen, in for Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money Live from the NASDAQ market site. On the desk with me tonight, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Steve Grasso, and Brian Kelly. And we will start with a market that is just maybe, maybe starting to come to grips with the reality that the Fed is going to keep on raising rates. Stocks, after opening solidly in the red, finishing around session highs. It was a very strong final hour of trading. The housing sector today, sort of a snapshot of this delicate balancing act. Rates keep rising, 10-year hitting an 11-year high, pushing mortgage rates to nearly 6.5%. But the home builders actually went higher today. KeyBank upgraded the sector, saying that housing is due for a comeback after suffering mightily this year, and that history dating back to 1963 is the guide. So if housing can adjust to a higher rate environment, can the rest of the market as well? The argument was, was interesting. Hello. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you very First of all, on this Manic Monday, nice Bengals reference. The, the, was that a Bengals reference? Yes, okay. I th- they're having a terrible season so far, but which the, is disappointing. <laughs> and the Bengals as well. But the, <laughs> that, anyway, you did that on oh, purpose, okay. didn't you? Yeah. That was funny. Oh, all Sorry. about the Bengals. Um, so so for <laughs> early pain, early gain was the key bank report on housing. And there have there's been a lot of pain in housing. There's been a lot of pain. And if you look at the, the relative valuations within the sector, first of all, to each other, you, I, I think that's really the trade. I think if you look at Pulte uh, relative to Lennar, Pulte to me is the one you want to own. But, but if I look at where the housing stocks have done versus the S&P over the last year, they're actually flat to the S&P, I, I, so, which is almost yeoman-like or yo-woman-like when you consider what's mm-hmm. been going on there. Um, I, I, look, I, I like the idea of they're talking about relative outperformance to their targets. They're saying we see 20% upside. I, I bet if you pulled analysts around the street, though, they see a lot more upside to, to core names. I, I don't like the interest rate sensitivity. Uh, part of the call needs to be really that we think that we're, we're starting to see some peak on mortgage rates. That, to me, would be an argument that at least I could begin to try to argue around, even though it was a day when the 10-year actually went to, I think, you know, close to 11-year highs when we got above 350 intraday. So. What about you, Karen? Well, I agree. I think that, that if rates have sort of maybe... Peaked. Popped up, right? Peaked. I think they, they ended up off their highs from today. So if that's the case, then you can make a case for why the home builders should be doing well. But I try not to read too much into what happened today. I feel like positioning around the Fed, yeah. I kind of feel like it's a game of dodgeball. A lot of people have their back against the wall because they don't want to get beamed by who knows what's coming. If you told me right now what exactly the Fed would do and what their language would be, I wouldn't know how the market would react. We love that game here. Tell yeah. me the headline. I can't tell you what the and market looks like. We're also coming off of a week where the S&P was down 5% on right. partly adjusting to a, a more hawkish Fed. So, Grasso, I think, I think you're in agreement. Too early to get into housing, right? Not knowing what the Fed's going to do? Yeah, too early to get 
yeah, too early to get into housing. Tim touched on the mortgage rates. 30 year, uh, 90% of, of all mortgages uh, are attracted to the 30-year mortgage rate. Beginning of the year was at 3%. Now it's above 6%. So I don't think that that's the whole debate we're having. If that starts to flatten out, then you could possibly become constructive in housing. But we don't even know how deep or how long the recession is going to last. How can you buy housing if you don't know either? I think it's just starting to feel the pain. The pandemic uh, really did a number for housing. People had second homes. They were working remotely. But we're just starting to see supply of homes for sale up 27%. Uh, year over year, that is. Uh, prices are still 43% higher than pre-pandemic. So, yes, it's too early. And just remember, any recovery in the housing market always happens in a rising rate environment, not for this reason, not for battling inflation. It's because growth is exploding, and that's not what we have here. No, sort of the opposite. BK, Diana Olick mentioned today was the ninth read in a row, nine months now, of weaker home builder sentiment. So certainly starting to feel the pain. A lot of economists already say the sector's in recession. Could you be a buyer of any of these stocks yeah. on this idea that rates may be topping out? No. Because no, rates aren't topping no. out one, or because don't you don't like are, housing? But, well, for both. One, I don't think rates are topping out. I think we're in a period where rates are going to be higher for longer. I think we, you know, we have, it's going to be very unusual if inflation actually moderates and then just levels off. I think it's a far shot that they get to 2%. I think we're more likely to have inflation for the next five years somewhere above 4%. So number one, I think rates stay at these levels. Number two, if I look at house price indexes, depending on which one you look at, they're still up 14 to 18% year over year. So how can you be at the bottom of a cycle if prices are still up? So if you had told me, hey, prices are down 18% and you had all these things and maybe we're towards the end of the cycle, yeah, then I'd be getting excited about it. But I'm just not excited about housing. I think we're just in the first couple in innings of the housing downturn as opposed to the last couple. So Grasso, Karen said some of it is funky positioning ahead of the Fed. What, what do you attribute today's late day rally? Final hour, it was really straight up. One thing I thought, and not to give myself too much credit, but I did have Mike Wilson, the chief U.S. equity strategist, and Morgan Stanley on the show, who's been very, Did you get very, him bullish? Finally? Did honestly, you get him? I mean, I mean, if you no, did, no, no, no. I think he walked big back applause. his no. bearish call a little bit. He still expects the S&P to go down to 3,000, test that low, and right. then come up. But he said, I don't think we're going to have a very deep recession. He said, I think yields have topped out here. He just expects more pain in the stock market because he said it's not reflecting the recession and, and the fact that earnings are going to have to come down. Well, but I thought that was actually yeah, sounded so, a little more bullish. Yeah, so, so I think the reason why the market's rallying is that what we, all traders, what we keep doing is saying, OK, we saw FedEx uh, you know, ha have a blow up last week. So is that going to change Powell's mind? So we keep grasping on this, on this pivot, even though we know the pivot's not happening. So what we're looking for, what we should be realistic is say, maybe we could have a pace pivot where he can say, okay, it's not going to be 75 to 100 basis points. We're going to cut that back to 50 to 25. That should be the light at the end of the tunnel. But I think people are getting excited thinking Powell's going to change his tone this week. Even if he doesn't change his tone. So now the market is pricing in, BK, a 4.4% terminal rate. 
and then the end of the cycle. A pause in, in yeah. April 2023. Mm -hmm. And I think the question, the question for the market is, is that in? Is that, is that in the price? Is that peak hawkishness? Or is it going to have to get worse? Is that terminal rate expectation going to come higher? Yeah, I think the biggest risk for the market, which you're identifying, is the fact that maybe the pivot never comes. Everybody's expecting a pivot. The rate market's expecting a pivot. Every strategist is expecting a pivot. My, Wilson, who's been spot on in this market, by the way, you know, he's even saying, hey, maybe rates have moderated here. So that means that the risk that is not priced in is that Powell comes out and says, listen, this is going to be a long fight. This is going to be a multi-year battle against interest rates. If he comes out and says that, and I don't think he will, but if he does come out and say that, then yeah, I think you've got a problem. And I think that's where the market, that's what the market hasn't priced in. Everything else, short of only a 50 basis point rise, is also probably priced in. So now you just have to look at what the risks are. And the risks are, which I think is a very formidable risk and probably the likely path, is that we are in a high inflation, high rate environment for multiple years. And for equities, it's, it's an interesting time because in terms of allocation, you're, you've got less than 20% of the S&P with a dividend yield that's below the, the 2%, uh, and even at, at the long end. And, and what you're starting, though, to hear is, is some sense of where the long end of the curve can begin to, to price in a Fed that's overshot, where you actually might start to see some positioning, especially for long-duration type accounts like insurance companies and pensions and whatnot. But you mentioned the terminal rate on the April futures, which was at 448 today, and that's really the peak of where we are. That's moved 48 basis points in the last in the last you know, week and a half. So to well, the extent, hot August CPI report. Hot CPI and then all the Fed rhetoric to follow. And, and I guess the, the sense I have is that they still don't know. And this is coming at a time when the Fed has also told you we don't really know. So pivot, I still believe, though, means less hawkish. It doesn't have to mean pivot. Um, it has to mean less hawkish. And I think that's something that the market's finally. So what do you do, Karen? We don't. So we don't know how hawkish they're going to get. And we don't know whether that's in the market. What should investors do? I think you just got to own things that you feel comfortable with. If you, if, so for me, I'm always long. So I got to own things that I'm comfortable with that can withstand, you know, some definitely some volatile markets, and that's okay. One thing I want to add, though, they don't know what they're going to do. They don't know what the inflation reading Agreed. is going to be, right? We also haven't seen uh, QT really take effect this month. I guess it's up to 90. So we'll see. I think that's that good. it's hard to make multi-quarter guesses when the data, when it's so data-dependent, that uh, you sound like a CEO in an earnings call. Um, well, the one you want to hear, the one that's, that pulls their guidance, says it's impossible yes, to talk about. How can it. you guide? Yeah. I always think they should pull their guidance. All right. Well, our next guest, we're going to weigh in here on the Fed, does not believe the market fully understands the consequences of rising rates. Paul McCulley is FIMCO's former chief economist. He now teaches at Georgetown's McDonough School of Business. Paul, it's good to see you. We, we've just been having this debate about how far the Fed goes. H hard to predict. What's your take? I think it's a very interesting debate, and I think it's the right terms of debate, which is what's the terminal rate going to be and how long are, gonna, are they going to stay there? Uh, and the marketplace has moved a lot uh, since Jackson Hole and also since uh, the CPI data. So you have a lot of nastiness already priced into the marketplace. Uh, and the issue really going forward uh, is at what point will we see the Fed say that they're going to slow this down? What, what point are they gonna start talking about the notion that we're gonna reach a point and stay there for a while? 
Uh, and uh, I think that will be good news for stabilizing the fixed income market. And then the issue for the equity market is going to be uh, whether or not it's going to be a softish landing or a recession. So I'm actually turning a little bit more constructive on the fixed income market. Uh, but I think the jury is still out on the equity market because of this issue of how soft is soft versus hard. Well, Powell said he wanted to see pain, or at least we're going to see pain at Jackson Hole, right, when it comes to the economy. And we know we're not there yet because the last CPI report showed firmer prices. And it was sort of surprising on a lot of goods areas, apparel and some of these other places where we expected to see it come down. So the key question then, Paul, is how fast does inflation come down from here? That we don't know. I think it's going to come down pretty sharply on the goods side but we're in the process of this rotation for, on the consumer from goods uh, to services. And services really reflect a lot of labor pressures on the inflation side. So I think it's going to be a mixed bag that you will see positive disinflation on the goods side, but that the service side uh, is going to be sticky, uh, I think. Uh, so it's a really difficult sort of time for the Fed. And I think what uh, Chair Powell is going to do on Wednesday is see the markets ante because the market has become more hawkish. But at the same time, I don't think that Mr. Powell is going to up the bet. Uh, so I think the fixed income market has it basically right. He will validate what the forward market has done. Uh, but I don't think he's going to up the bet uh, on the hawkish side anymore, which could give uh, the overall financial additions, some momentary relief. So, Paul, it, just pick up where you left off there. If the fixed income market has it right and the market is higher than the June lows, the equity market, but the rates are higher than where they were in June, in your mind, is that indica uh, indicative of a market that is not pricing in headwinds and i know that you've been concerned with earnings uh, in the future do you think that the market is not discounting the headwinds to earnings and do you think that uh rates and the equity market are not aligned and that's indicative of that i think there are a little bit of tension between the two right now because the fixed income market has taken mr powell at his word that his commitment to bringing inflation down is unconditional. And I think the fixed income market says, okay, sir, we get that. I don't think the equity market has fully embraced it uh, because even if you buy that the fixed income market is about right on the terminal rate, uh, to get really bullish on equities, you've got to believe that earnings are going to hold up relative to expectations. Uh, and Mr. Powell has not promised that. In fact, Vice Chair uh, Lyle Brainer actually commented very recently about the notion there's room for profit margins to contract. Uh, so uh, in the two markets, I have more confidence that uh, the fixed income market is aligned with where the Fed is versus the equity market. Doesn't make me a screaming bear on equities from this level, but on a relative basis, uh, I'm a whole lot more comfortable on the fixed income side than I am on the equity side. Well, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. So let's say the Fed doesn't care about where the market goes. In terms of the economy, how much pain in the economy are they willing to take 
before they maybe abandon their hawkish stance, even though inflation's not fully where they want it to be? Uh, that's the real question. That is the real question. How much pain are they willing to take? Or put differently, how much for the job market are they willing to see the unemployment rate go up and job creation slow down to perhaps, you know, less than 100,000 a month? Are they willing to take that and still maintain a hawkish stance, which doesn't necessarily mean higher, but maintaining that plateau. Uh, and uh, I have to uh, uh, say to myself uh, that uh, in the last couple months, uh, Mr. Powell has shown more tolerance for taking pain uh, than I anticipated he would. And that's what I'm expecting him to say on Wednesday is, I said pain, I meant pain, and we're going to see pain. And I think that's going to be reflected uh, in the new summary of economic projections with a very soggy uh, growth rate for next year and probably a half or more increase in the unemployment rate. So I think the new SCP is going to have a distinct stagflationary uh, flavor to it at a minimum. So long-winded answer to your question. I think he's willing to take a, a fair amount of pain. That's a dot plot, by the way, which always is more confusing, I think, than valuable. But, Paul, we're not seeing, I mean, sorry, just to put a button on this, we're not really seeing pain in the jobs market. I know we can talk about whether we're in recession or not. It doesn't matter. If you have a job and people are getting jobs right now, there are millions of job openings. Unemployment claims have been down for the last five weeks. So if you're expecting pain for unemployment, we're not seeing it. You're absolutely right, sir. And you and I have talked about it before. The job market has held up amazingly well. Uh, and when uh, Chair Powell is talking about pain to Main Street, it really is about jobs. Uh, so if you're going to put some balance of risk on his rhetoric on Wednesday, uh, if he really wants to be uh, nastier than I think he's going to be, he would point to the whole notion that uh, we need to create some slack in the labor market, which means that he's willing to take a fair amount of pain in the, in the terms of a pretty long string uh, of soggy employment reports uh, and not pivot and not pivot. It's a lot of pain. It's a lot of nasty. Pain is nasty. Paul McCulley, thank you. <laughs> it's good to talk to you. Let's trade this. PK. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you're right. We really haven't seen that pain in the economy yet. I mean, everybody seems to have a job. Um, we haven't seen unemployment tick up. And this, to me, is the reason why you have this sticky employment. And not only that, we even looked just back last week where the rail workers were on strike. They got a pay raise. And that's happening globally. So that's why I think, you know, I, I think we're, we're, we have inflation for a long period of time. You're going to have margins compressed, which is where I would agree that, listen, I think stocks probably go lower uh, for the foreseeable future. All right. We're going to find out about crypto next. Coming up, the crypto crush, Bitcoin dropping today, hovering under $20,000. But will it go even lower? Chartmaster Carter Worth breaks down why he sees 15K in the cards. Plus, we're watching shares of Ford dropping after hours. The company announcing a warning related to supply chain and inflation issues. We'll share the details with you right after the break. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money, back in two. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. 
For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Ford shares take a look dropping after hours, close to down 5% right now. The automaker warning about higher than expected costs for Q3 and supply chain challenges that will leave thousands of vehicles unfinished. They still need the parts. Phil LeBeau here to take us inside this warning, Phil. So they're reiterating guidance, right? But warning of some issues. Full year guidance. Right, Sarah. They're reiterating full year guidance. But in the third quarter, we're seeing the stress in the supply chain coming and hurting Ford in terms of what the company expects to make in the third quarter. The company is issuing new guidance. It is for an adjusted EBIT of 1.4 to 1.7 billion. Now, they never gave previous guidance, but the analysts, the consensus, according to FactSet, was for Ford to report in the third quarter a profit of 2.98 billion. So this is coming in far below what analysts were expecting. They're blaming this on a $1 billion increase in supplier costs. And this is basically the supply chain overall. And there are 40 to 45,000 vehicles that they have built, but they have not delivered. They would deliver these to the dealers who bought them if they had the parts. They expect to deliver them in the fourth quarter. So as you take a look at shares of Ford... The full-year profit guide remains in place. The company expects to deliver these vehicles. They expect to be able to absorb this increase in supplier costs and report a profit of 11.5 to 12.5 billion for the full year. So they're not changing their full-year guidance, but they are saying, "Look, right now the supply chain is hurting the company, and this is not unusual. We've heard this from other automakers. We've heard it in aerospace, manufacturing across the board. Bottom line is this." They are feeling the pinch at Ford. And what's interesting here, Sarah, I've talked to people at Ford. These are not chip-related supplier problems. I can't say that enough. This is not because of having a shortage of chips. It's a shortage of parts across the board. And that speaks to the stress for Tier 1 and Tier 2 suppliers in the auto industry, which is not new. This has been known for several months. I talked to somebody just a few minutes ago when I called him up and I said, Ford's warning what do you think about this? He said, who isn't warning? The supply chain is it's breaking down in certain areas, not across the board, it was getting better, but in so. certain areas. And it, no, it's not. It's, it's not, not getting better. It's getting better in terms of chip supply. But in terms of the costs, 
and the ability for all suppliers to ramp up their production to the level, whether it's Ford or GM or anybody, it's tough for these smaller suppliers. And there are also some tier ones. They cannot increase. They don't have the, the manpower. The costs are going up. And in many cases, they cannot meet the demand for a variety of reasons. And again, it's not across the board, but all you need are a few here and there. And that's where you see the impact. Yeah, billion dollar cost. Phil Abo, thank you very much. Good color. Let's yeah. get let's trade this now. So Tim, you own Ford. It's already forty two percent off the highs. I own Ford, I own GM. I, I will say if you look at Ford on a one year, it's actually outperformed the S P by almost thirty percent through good times and bad. We we know that they had a great run towards the end of last year, but those numbers, if you reaffirm at twelve billion in, in, in EBIT, you're you're at four, you know, four point two times uh, where the market cap is right now on twenty three on twenty two numbers. I, I just you know, I get back to the case that this is a company that's run differently than it has been. They're gonna be free cash flow flow generative. They 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 raised their dividend in the second quarter numbers. We had heard also at the end of the second quarter about 35,000 in, in complete, you know, un, unfinished vehicles. So uh, this doesn't really surprise me. And, and I guess the dynamic is we see that they have pricing power. They're the clear number two in EV. And at this valuation, I can sleep at night. I, I know it's not going to be easy here. But again, I think these guys are running the company very differently than they have. Grasso? Yeah, uh, near ter- first of all, they all, they all uh, bounced off their June lows, all the car companies. If, if we, we play a game called Would You Rather, I, I would rather be in GM. I think they have a little more momentum on their side, Sarah, as far as stock price. But both names seem to be in a short-term declining trend line. And I mean really short-term because they both just bounced, but they failed off their recent highs off that June low. So I'd probably stay clear uh, until some of the supply chain glut or, or not in glut uh, resolves itself, I'd stay out of the uh, out of that space and go with the EVs. Tesla seems to be outperforming right now. All right, Karen would rather GM too. Uh, coming up, crypto cold snap. Bitcoin keeps falling and the technicals could be pointing to an even bigger drop ahead. The chart master here to lay out why 15K could be in the cards. Details next. Plus, taking off, look at the airlines soaring into the green today. So should you be boarding this trade? Uh, uh, did there. Our that, traders will yeah, break it down. And Jessica, some very clever writers here. You're watching Fast Money live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square, which is very dark this evening. We'll be back after it's a quick stormy. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Look at Bitcoin briefly dipping below 19,000 this morning, hitting its lowest level in about three months. The cryptocurrency ended the day back above that level, but the chart master thinks it will not stay there for long. Carter Worth of Worth Charting here. Carter, where's Bitcoin going? Well, we shall see, but certainly not for the faint of heart. Uh, you know, before looking at the charts, what we do know, of course, is it basically topped the same time the S&P topped last part of last year, early part of this year. It bottomed almost on the same day. Its bottom was June 18th. S&P was June 17th. And, and yet... All of the trading since the bottom feels like just a pause before moving lower. Let's let's look at a chart or two and see if we can and figure it out. So 
that's one way to draw the lines. We see that low on June 18th. It moved as much as 40% off the low, S&P moving 20. But we're, we're reapproaching that level sort of dangerously, just as certain stocks have. If we pull that back a little further, that's a three-month chart. The six-month chart looks at it in more relief. But you can see, again, we're working into what you would call the apex of that formation, which is to say you can't just sit here and go flat. You either come to life in a big way or you break down. We're in the latter camp. We think it breaks down. Now, looking at some long-term charts, the key level, and everyone knows this, is where we are in relation to both the trend line in effect for the past two years and also the 2017 high. And so you'll see that on the final chart. What this does is this shows where we are. We're at support, so to speak. It's the 20,000 level plus minus, but we've been backing and filling here since that June 18th low when we pierced below a 20,000, reaching as low as 17. And so the fight is on whether this is uh, going to make it, so to speak, going to survive this and then head higher, or it's just simply the pause having dropped 75% before it ultimately goes lower. That's my thinking, that we break to the downside. Got it. Carter Worth. Carter, thank you. Let's trade it. BK, of course, over to you. What do you think? Yeah, listen, I'm, I'm sympathetic to what Carter, first of all, he's the best uh, chartist that I know. Well, Secondarily, when master. you look at you know, the <laughs> fundamentals, <laughs> when, when, you, when you look at the fundamentals behind Bitcoin, it wouldn't really get cheap until 15000 and then super cheap, like, like it was as cheap as it was at the March 2020 lows until about 10,500. So there's a lot of room on the downside before you get cheap. some kind of like how do you put a value uh, based on address based on address growth. Based on address growth and Metcalf's you law, you can do a little we we have a proprietary formula that tells us whether it's cheap or expensive. So that's what I'm talking about on that because it's really just network effect. So if we look at that and then we look at the macro environment, and Carter was right to point out that it's correlated with the S with the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq almost 70% of the time for almost the last year. So really, until that breaks, you're basically looking at kind of a double-levered ETF on the NASDAQ futures. I think there's a lot of reasons why it should break. It just hasn't yet. Um, and so we have to wait until that point. What about this? What about these Bitcoin short ETFs, the inverse ETF, B-I-T-I? It's up 71% this year. Is that a, is that a safe way to go? Well, safe is maybe the wrong word. Uh, well, well, yeah, I, I'm not sure I would say anything about Bitcoin is safe. Uh, number two, the fact that we're even, I think it's got a $100 million market cap. The fact that we're even talking about it makes me start to think maybe we're closer to the bottom than, than we all think. Um, so maybe it's a contrary indicator. I, I, the only problem I have with, with these type of things is that it's, it's a levered inverse ETF. It's based on the CME futures, which are fine. But if you're holding it in an equity position, as in an equity wrapper, you have issues with the role and it doesn't always correlate with performance. So what I'd be worried about is somebody goes and tries to short Bitcoin closer to the bottom than the top. And even if they get the trade mm. right, because of these futures idiosyncratic problems, you might not actually make money on it. So they're, they're not a great way, in my opinion, to put the trade on. Karen's waiting for a triple inverse Bitcoin ETF, right? right? That's so my kind of thing. But BK, a question for you. Just going back to what is cheap, and you touched on uh, addresses. That's the number of sort of new parties interested in or holding a position in Bitcoin. What exactly are you talking about? Yeah, so it's, it's addresses are like wallets on the Bitcoin network. 
And I think of them very much like a Twitter daily average user, Facebook daily average user. And in fact, if you take daily average users and chart it over Facebook's price over the first 10 years of it trading, it's almost a pretty good correlation. It's almost an 80% correlation. So Bitcoin is all about the network effect. Any currency is about a network effect. And so if you start to see addresses growing at a fast rate, that is adoption of the currency. And if you see addresses falling, that is not adoption. That's the exact opposite. And right now, what we're seeing is addresses falling and sentiment falling at the same time. One of those two needs to reverse. So what's fair value in that model? Well, so fair value, interestingly, is above 20,000. Uh, but it usually stays only at fair value for a little bit of period of time, and you don't get much of a, an uptick from fair value. You usually want to buy it when it's cheaper. Got it. All right, coming up on the show, we've got to talk Moderna because it dropped hard along with some of the other vaccine makers today as President Biden declares the pandemic over. So what's the next move for this biotech trade? Plus, some high-energy options, shares of one oil stock up nearly 25% since mid-July, and options traders are fueling up for even more gains ahead. The name when Fast Money returns. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money, a buzzkill on Moderna. It was the worst S&P 500 performer today, down 7%. The move coming a day after President Biden said the pandemic is over. He said it in an interview with 60 Minutes. Moderna, not the only Vax-related stock to fall today. BioNTech, Novavax, Pfizer, all firmly in the red. J&J and Merck also getting hit, dragging down the Dow. Karen, a 7-plus percent drop for Moderna on Biden saying that the pandemic is over. Does that make sense? Yes and no. If you have people that are just in it for the for the pandemic and they're like it's over next trade, then I guess it makes sense. But I mean, to me, I haven't owned Moderna. It's been pretty expensive. I do like Big Cap Pharma, though. I do feel like it's a decent place to hide. I know Pfizer was down today on that same news, I guess. I know BK on our midday call, you were extremely skeptical that that was the reason for it. But I like I like Merck as well, which was down today. I like Bristol Myers, Avi, Lilly. I feel like it's a decent place to hide in a market that's obviously pretty volatile where valuations aren't so stretched. So I'm there. But I guess, BK, we don't on one hand, we don't need President Biden to tell us the pandemic is over. All right. Everybody else has been saying that in our life. (laughs) But if you're in these stocks looking for the recurring revenue stream of these booster shots and these targeted booster shots and the federal government changes its posture around how it's going to push that out, maybe then it's material. Maybe you shouldn't be trading stocks either. I mean, you know, these things are down from $500 to 125 You know, come on. Like, these are the headlines that grinds my gears, right? Because it purports to give you new information. There is no new information here. So if you're the one who sold the stock today on this news, you're probably the last one to do it on this news. And I don't know. You've got to have a new catalyst to get these things going. I just find these headlines to be useless. I'll just say real quick on, on Moderna. This is a company that now has almost $20 billion of cash on their balance sheet with a $55 billion market cap. So you do the math. I mean, they, 
they could spend it on anything. They're a biotech company. But in fact, it, uh, it's not expensive in terms of an asset multiple. Um, in terms of the spike backs and some of the numbers we've just gotten from them, highly cash accretive. So uh, this stock, look, I'm not jumping into Moderna, but this is a company that to me, there is a free cash flow element of their business right now, as long as they stay away from some bad acquisition. I'm so glad you mentioned this. So Michael Yee, the, the analyst at Jefferies, who's nailed this call, by the way, he's been on hold and hasn't bought into the hype around Moderna and the recurring vaccines. He said when it gets below 40 billion market cap, it's about 50 right now, right. then it starts to look interesting because they do have other projects in the pipeline related to flu and even cancer on mRNA, which has now proven itself. Yep, for sure. So sounds like you agree. Meantime, the airlines topping the tape and maybe for the same reason, American Airlines leading the names in the green. Southwest, United, JetBlue and Delta all getting a lift of two to four percent. Yet the Jets ETF still down nearly 25 percent from a year ago. So can the run continue, Steve? Yeah, so now we're, we're switching from people wanting, wanting experiential vacations coming out of the pandemic to corporate travel returning. And if you see those experiential uh, people getting back on planes because they no, no longer have to worry about testing. But that's been a story for the last couple of weeks. So I think this is more about maybe a knee-jerk reaction to the headline. But I'm focused more on international travel returning, corporate travel returning, Oil is lower. That's a tailwind for these uh, for the airlines. I would I would play it with UAL and I would play it with Delta. I, I don't like the domestic airlines in this environment. I think that the catch up or the real outperforming trade are those international plays. But and also business, you said, which is coming back, which could be a catalyst and people have been waiting for it. But it's coming at a time where we're now worried about the recession and businesses are starting to cut or maybe pause hiring and that sort of thing. Well, I think the things you're worried more about with the airlines are as business comes back online and transcontinental comes back online, are the airlines going to throw too much capacity at this? And, and, and historically, this has been the problem with investing in airlines. Wolf Research had an interesting note, I think sometime last week, where they talked about the prisoner's dilemma in the airline space, which is that what's good for one isn't good for the group. And those those airlines that have raised capacity aggressively, uh, historically, their multiple has expanded. They've been rewarded in the market. Uh, but again, airlines raising capacity into a lower demand environment overall um, I, would, would be scary. By the way, you mentioned that, well, the good news around the jets continue. And I think <laughs> oh, there's not so much. I see much, what you did there. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't Who thinking knows? about I, it. I don't, Are you I mean, a jets fan? No. No. <laughs> GMAT, Giants. I mean, that's okay. why I brought it up. Okay. You know where I stand. When we come back, we are looking at some energy options. One name on a tear these last few months. And traders are hoping that this run is just getting started. We'll share the details next. Look at that chart. And throughout his Hispanic Heritage Month, we are celebrating our CNBC teammates and contributors. Here's the CEO of the Hispanic Association on Corporate Responsibility. We know that corporate America has a lot of work to do to make sure that we are fully inclusive of Latinos, particularly uh, on corporate boards, in the C-suites, as well as that pipeline development uh, for making sure that Latinos are included, especially for Latinas. Latinas by themselves um, would be a G20 country if you just took Latina GDP alone. And together, um, all of us, uh, allies, as well as those of us within our community can continue to be that positive force that America needs.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Schlumberger. It is continuing to climb today, adding to its rally over the past few months. The stock is up more than 24% since mid-July, and options traders could be betting this name pumps even higher. Got to be a pump. Got to be a pun. Mike Coe with the action. What do you see? Yeah, so Schlumberger traded nearly four times their average daily call volume today. That high number, the result of activity, on the 46 strike calls expiring in October. Those expire on October 21st, which I point out because that's probably when we're going to be expecting this company to report their third quarter earnings. Over 55,000 of those traded for about 31 cents. Buyers of those calls will be making quite a bullish bet given the stock's $39 price as of today's close. And right now, those options premiums are also suggesting pretty big moves in general. If you happen to own the stock or, or are thinking about it, maybe call spreads would be a better way to play it in my view. Got it. Let's trade it. Tim. Long. Uh, been long for a long time. And I refer to Schlumberger also as a technology company. They are the most innovative technology company, certainly in drilling. And I would argue in the sector, they just did deal with Cognite, which gets there. They have an enterprise data system, which is being utilized by the industry. This is a company that also uh, is cash flow accretive. And I talk about this all the time also for the oil and gas sector. So uh, like Schlumberger, recognize that the OIH and, and drillers are going to be volatile. Um, but there's only one way in which drilling, drilling activity has to go. And again, I think these companies are doing it a little bit they're all up here today, but Schlumberger, not as much as some of the others. It's underperformed. It's underperformed Halliburton, and, and I think it's best of breed. All right. Thank you, Mike. For more options action, you can be sure to tune into the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time right here on CNBC. Coming up here, luxury update. Shares of Ralph Lauren jumping in today's session after the company lays out some big revenue targets. What the CEO told us about the company's growth plan next, when Fast Money comes right back. Welcome back. Here is a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. I love this. Jim is talking with the CEO of Intuit. You can catch that full exclusive interview at the top of the hour on a special Mad Money. He's live in San Francisco. So it's a Kramer cam. You've never seen the Kramer cam before? (laughs) I haven't seen it in a while. I love that. Great stuff. Um, Very cool. You've made it when there's a cam. (laughs) Shares of Ralph Lauren up 3% today after the luxury retailer outlined strong financial targets at its investor day. I spoke with CEO Patrice Louvet earlier on Closing Bell about the direction of the business. Listen. We have done a lot of work on our supply chain, diversification, localization, platforming, digitization. So much so, and I mentioned this to investors earlier today, that I really believe our supply chain is a competitive advantage. And we have seen that through COVID, both the strength and the agility of our supply chain. So there's a lot of conversation about inventory. We feel like we're well positioned going into the holidays on inventory. So is Ralph Lauren the latest sign of strength in luxury retail, Karen? I was very excited to talk to you about this because the stock has underperformed. He said there's no slowdown in the business anywhere. Even in China, he's very bullish. And they've got like 5% of revenues. He said they don't have an inventory problem like other retailers. Supply chain is an advantage. What's the disconnect? Well, first of all, good for getting him to oh, talk. Thank you. nearly impossible. I've been working so on it for five years. Okay. <laughs> Mission accomplished. So I think, I mean, there was a lot of great things to hear. And yet it doesn't translate into a valuation that is anywhere close to that. You know, it's it's in some ways it's a luxury company. In other ways, a lot of their revenue is on some lower margin stuff. But the the I mean, the middle P.E. six, seven multiple 
seems, I don't know, unusually low. The free cash flow multiple is excellent. Capri has a similar problem. I don't understand why. And, this, and then the luxury conglomerate story of a Capri or a Ralph Lauren is not translating at all. And I don't know why that is. We saw, they've come out of the pandemic well. They're got, this was a pretty, I think, a pretty bullish investor day. I don't know what's going to make these multiples trade up. But, you know, I'm long Capri. It's similar to this. And then a little similar is Tapestry. They all trade this way. I'm not sure when the market will believe that this cash flow is enduring. I don't know. Grass, I was the global recessionary concerns finally taking a toll on the luxury consumer, even though these CEOs aren't talking about it. No, it's, it's actually not taking a toll on it. The problem is. What you just, what, the way you led into that question, everyone thinks if we're going into a global recession or a slowdown, the first thing to get hit is going to be luxury. And, and that's, the, uh, it, that's the opposite of what actually happens. Luxury always outperforms. So when you look at RL, judging on their guidance, it implies $35 uh, EPS in the next two years, in the next two years. So if you look at that, historically, the stock trades at 12 to 15 times EPS, and you come up with a price of over $400. Stock closed below $100. So if you want to put it away for yourself and, you, it, it, and you're looking for much, out, uh, much more to the upside, I'm long Capri as well. I mm. bought Capri uh, as a high teenager. It's, uh, it's $45 or so, so I agree with Karen. What I'm looking for is a higher blended multiple there as well. But I'd be a buyer of luxury. I'd be a buyer of RL. I'm holding my Capri. BK, you are nodding. Yeah, well, listen, I think the, the one thing that's interesting both about Ralph Lauren and Ford, actually, is both of those CEOs are saying nothing about a destruction in demand. Yet we have a Federal Reserve that's trying to solve a supply problem, supply chain problem, with a demand destruction. So if you actually believe the Fed is going to accomplish their goal and get demand destruction, then this is probably not a great buy or Capri or, frankly, many things. But I think that's the one thing that the market might be missing here is that you haven't had the demand destruction yet. No, the luxury consumer is holding up remarkably. What Luxury and cosmetics, those, those are the spots. Up next, your final trades when we come right back on Fast Money. It is time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Grasso. STEM, S-T-E-M. I've been long this one for a long time, but if you look on the chart, it's really starting to outperform. Stay with it. BK. Uh, For me, it's uranium, the uranium ETF, U-R-A, one piece of the energy crisis puzzle. Tim. Sarah, thank you for joining us on this hazy shade of winter. Ford Motor Company, number two EV. Uh, nice Bengals reference for me. Karen. On the heels of that SLB <laughs> auction action, I like the OIH. Biggest component is Schlumberger. Thank you for watching Fast Money. Thank you for having me, guys. Mad Money Thanks with Jim Kramer. Thank you. Starts right now. Have a good night. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely. 
positively FedEx.